Today is part two of our sermon series, Significant Others. And today we look at those relationships in our lives with our most intimate companions along life's journey, our family and friends. Now what happens when we turn to the Bible looking for guidance about relationships with family and friends? Many of the stories portrayed in the Bible reveal sadness and pain unfolding in between family and friends. Cain and Abel, the first brothers, the sons of Adam and Eve, became jealous, and Cain takes Abel's life. Abraham and Sarah are unable to conceive, and so Abraham takes another wife. Never going to be a good ending when you start like that. Hagar, and they have a son, Ishmael, but Ishmael and Hagar are quickly banished, and the rift in the family lasts for thousands of years. Jacob and Esau are twin brothers, but already in the womb, the text tells us, they are fighting for first place. And Jacob, whose nickname is the conniver or the trickster, steals his brother's rightful place as the heir to dad's great fortune. Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery. And there are so many more stories that I could share with you from the Old Testament about how families are dysfunctional, but frankly, many of those stories, they're not G-rated. And so take one of Mike's classes to find out how the Bible gets far more interesting than the juiciest soap opera you have ever watched. And then let's just jump into the New Testament. We read about Martha standing in the kitchen making a platter of hummus for Jesus while she's bellyaching about her sister Mary, who is lounging lazily in the living room listening to Jesus give a Bible study. And then there's Ananias and Sapphira, who lie to their church community about how much money they are able to contribute. Judas, one of the twelve who betrays Jesus, and all of the disciples find themselves too sleepy to stay up and wait with Jesus when he faces his most horrific moment of despair in the garden prior to his death on the cross. The Bible is clear, crystal clear. Real relationships among family and friends are messy and difficult and complicated. Are you wondering why you came to church? Today's scripture lesson describes the relationship between Jonathan and David in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. In some ways, this story, this saga, is as messy and complicated as any other in the Bible, and in other ways, it offers us a unique glimpse into a friendship that is characterized by unconditional love and deep loyalty, a friendship between two adult men. This is the longest and most complex story of friendship found in the entire Bible. And this morning, we're looking only at the first four verses, the introductory verses about this friendship. But in the first four verses, we're told three times that their souls are bound one to another. The soul of Jonathan is bound to the soul of David. They are instant soulmates. Jonathan's father is the king, King Saul, and David is that heroic battle figure who has just slayed Goliath and really impressed King Saul. 
Now, Jonathan should have been the rightful heir to Saul's throne, but in this story of intimate friendship unfolding, Jonathan takes off his royal robe, he sheds his armor, he takes his sword and his military belt, and he presents all of what would have made him king to his new friend, David. In essence, Jonathan kneels before David in reverent friendship, and he supports David in becoming the new king instead of himself. Jonathan pledges his loyalty, and he offers his unconditional love to David. And then if we were to read just a couple of more verses, we would find out that this story, too, becomes messy and complicated because Saul, who was all on board with David becoming king, suddenly changes his mind and flies into a rage, and he threatens to kill David, and now Jonathan is caught in the middle. Have you ever been there? Caught in the middle. And Jonathan has to decide if he will stay true and faithful to his father, whom he deeply loves, or true and faithful to his friend David, whom he deeply loves. Jonathan, in the next several chapters, faces a series of painful choices filled with no-win decisions. When I was in the fifth grade, I moved to a new school to Alice E. Carlson Elementary. At the desk seated next to me, in the fifth grade classroom was a girl named Dana, and we became best friends almost instantly. She invited me to her church, and I became deeply involved in the church through her encouragement, and without my friendship with Dana, I probably wouldn't be in the church today, let alone a minister of the church. Dana invited me to youth group. We went to church camp together. We hung out all summer long at the swimming pool together. We had sleepovers every other weekend at her house or at mine and went on all the church retreats together. Long before texting, we spent hours writing one another long letters on notebook paper, sharing our hopes and our dreams and the stories of our boyfriends. We remained the best of friends all throughout high school and college and I was the maid of honor in her wedding, and she came to visit me on the East Coast in graduate school, and we spent the weekend together in New York. And then there was that one time that I never could quite get out of my mind, something that happened round about ninth grade when Dana did something that I believed really was unfair to me. I don't think, honestly, I ever quite got over it. And then when I was nearing the end of grad school, I did something that hurt Dana's feelings terribly. It was foolish on my part, but accidental. I didn't realize what I was doing when I made that decision, and Dana never quite got over it. And our relationship was severed, and it has always kind of bothered me. And I tried early on to restore it. I flew down to Texas. I scheduled a visit, and I waited, watching my clock, sitting at a restaurant, waiting for her, and she never came. Sometimes it is tempting to give up on friendship. Sometimes we have been hurt too much by friends who are reluctant to allow us to be soulmates. And we become hesitant about letting our souls be bound to the soul of another person. 
Patricia Toll writes that friendships, like marriages, are made not in heaven alone, but on earth. And she describes friendships using another line from the book of Samuel as hanging between heaven and earth. Do you have a relationship like that that is hanging between heaven and earth? Sometimes our relationships with other people over the years seem to vacillate as they hang between heaven and earth. We love them, and yet we have been brokenhearted by them. Don Belt is the former senior editor of National Geographic, and this week, in a series of articles about how people have been shaped by their parents' love, Don shared the story of his father. Don's dad was a traveling salesman in the 1960s. Dad had been a successful college football player and a Marine in World War II, and now that he was raising his family at home with his wife, he found himself stuck in a job that just wasn't a good fit. This bold, brave, burly man spent his time as a traveling salesman moving around the country, selling out of the trunk of his car thread and bobbins to the ladies at Penny's. When he got home on the weekends, Dad was ready to let off some steam. He played golf most of the weekend, and he consumed far too much alcohol. And when he was at home, Don remembers that his dad slammed a lot of doors and pounded his fist on the kitchen table. And when dad backed out of the driveway on Monday morning, Don and his siblings, with their mother standing over them, would watch dad pull away down the street and they would say, woohoo, we survived another weekend. And they dreaded the day that dad would return home late in the week. And then, Don's mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's at the age of 60. Dad was 65. And that year, he quit drinking, he gave up golf, and he became mom's full-time caregiver. The kids would say, hey, Dad, we can handle it. Go, play some golf, have some fun with your friends. We'll spend the weekend with mom. And Dad said no. His heart was with mom. He just wanted to take care of mom, and Don said, looking back, he could see how much Dad had always loved mom, but now this was the moment. It was Dad's finest hour. He said, my dad showed me what it truly means to love somebody. Sometimes our relationships are hanging between heaven and earth, and so why do we bother with them? Do you imagine that it matters much to God if we let our own souls be bound to the soul of another. When Dave Amon took me on our very first date, we went to a very nice restaurant where he had made a reservation. We arrived on time and parked the car in the parking lot of the restaurant. I can still picture that parking place. And I was talking as Dave turned off the ignition, and Dave, in his only Dave way, was listening to me, and so he didn't open the car door. I was telling him about why I had moved to Kansas City and what had led me to go into the ministry. And I will never forget, for as long as I live, he said to me, Oh, 
You wanted to be God's person. And I was stunned. No one had ever said that to me before, and it was exactly right. In that conversation, I knew myself in a new way. In his friendship, I glimpsed something of God's holy affection for me. I think when Jonathan offered his soul to the soul of David in friendship, he was showing David that David was completely and unequivocally loved by God. And in the subsequent verses of that saga of friendship, Jonathan makes the choice to defy his own father and choose loyalty to his friend David. There's this beautiful scene way later in the story where David begins to tremble in fear that Saul might try to take his life. And so Saul, so Jonathan and David set up a secret signal. They come up with a word that they can speak to one another. And when the boys in the area are out shooting arrows in the field, one word could be spoken by Jonathan that would tell David, you're not safe. My father is out to get you. And so Jonathan and David, two grown men, say the word in the field, and suddenly they realize this is the moment when they must part from one another. And the two grown men weep and kiss. And Jonathan says to his friend David, Go, go in peace, for the Lord shall be between me and you. God will be between us. Now, it is unclear throughout the entire story as Jonathan makes decision after decision after decision to be loyal to his friend David. What is it that David is thinking about Jonathan? David never really shows how he feels. Only years later, after Jonathan dies, does David get the chance to demonstrate his loyalty and his love for this friend. When Jonathan's grandson is in deep trouble, David steps in to save the grandson's life, and he does this because he loved Jonathan. He demonstrates, not with words, but with actions, his loyalty to his lifelong friend. In reflecting on this story of Jonathan and David, the biblical scholar Patricia Toll says, any bond of loyalty, however imperfect, is itself a little miracle, a limited but significant reflection of divine compassion. Think about your own relationships. Any bond of loyalty, however imperfect, is itself a little miracle, a limited but significant reflection of divine compassion. You see, our human friendships, however flawed, however suspended they are between heaven and earth, these friendships are the ways that God communicates to us that God's own soul is bound to our human souls. We finally know what God's love is like because of the friendships that you and I have tasted with one another.